All right, so let's pray and get started. God, thank you for the Bible, that you've cared enough to reveal yourself to us through your word, just that you care enough for us. And now would you give us ears to hear? Amen. So let's go to the passage. So we're going to primarily just work through one phrase in here, but I want to give you the context. Uh, Acts 16, 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice. Next slide. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now, there's a lot here that we could take a look at. Uh, for example, Paul and Silas were in prison, not complaining. They were in prison and not complaining. Uh, they were Instead, they were putting on a concert for the other prisoners. We could discuss the earthquake and how God intervened. Or we could go back and look at the question, why didn't the prisoners escape? I mean, that happened with Peter, right? Peter got set free and he walked out of the jail. But we don't really have enough time to go into that. So I'm just going to look at one phrase, and that is, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, a casual reading of the story would have you believe that the story is actually about Paul and Silas. And actually, when I first prepared this message, that's what I thought, that the story is primarily about Paul and Silas. But as you start studying it and looking at it, uh, the conclusion that I came to is that the story is actually about the jailer and that the, the whole stuff about Paul and Silas is how we get to the jailer. In fact, uh, as you study through Acts, one of the things that you notice is Acts is primarily about how did the church grow? How did people get saved? How did, how did the gospel work in real life? And one of the things that make me believe that is if you keep reading through this and read the next paragraph, what you find out is there was no reason for Paul and Silas to be freed. Because the next morning, the authorities come and say, ah, let them go. So they're going to get freed anyhow. They were just going to spend the night in jail. No big deal. Well, it might have been a big deal for them. But, you know, they were going to get freed. And so the first question that I want to look at is, why did the jailer ask the question he did? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
what caused him to one minute be all about his job, doing the jail thing, and then the next minute being desperate to know how to be saved. Well, there's a couple hints at the beginning of the paragraph. Uh, Paul and Silas were, as I said before, they're not complaining. If you're in jail and you're not complaining, that ought to capture somebody's attention. They were preaching without preaching. That is, they were singing songs and praying. And I'm, I'm supposing that what they were singing and what they were praying was enough of the gospel that the jailer had some idea of where these guys stood. It at least had an impact. But for all of their preaching and praying and singing, the jailer doesn't ask until later on. So maybe he needed a bit of a nudge. So the thing you need to understand about the, the whole sword thing is when the, the jailer was put in charge of prisoners, if he lost any prisoners, he was going to die. Like that, was, that was the consequence of losing prisoners. And so... Since he supposed that the prisoners had already escaped, what he's thinking is, I'm going to die anyhow. I'd rather die on my own terms than on somebody else's terms, so I'm going to kill myself. Now, there's nothing like the prospect of dying that make you think about your life and what you've been doing and how meaningless it's been and how not in control you are of circumstances, particularly this kind of circumstance, and that you're in trouble with God and there's got to be a better way. In fact, I think what happened to the jailer here was what happens to all of us who come to Jesus, and that is he finally realizes that he's not in control, he can't be in control, and that there's got to be a better way, that, that this isn't working. Matter of fact, I can just imagine conversations that jailers had with each other. Yeah, well, you know, John lost his prisoners, but that's not going to happen to me. You know, I've got everything under control. Kind of reminds me of, and I'm going to show my age here, but it kind of reminds me of Colonel Clank, Hogan's Heroes, right? Now, Colonel Clank thought, that nobody escaped from Stalag 13, but was he really in control? No, somebody else was actually pulling the strings to make that happen. For those of you too young for, for uh, Hogan's Heroes, go look it up on Netflix. So the jailer realizes he's not in control, that he's in big trouble, and maybe something that he heard in those messages has kind of brought him to his senses. But what the jailer has done, in short, is he's repented, right? He's, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But he's, he's realized that he's changed his mind about who he is and who God is and who Jesus is. Now, the next place I want to look is at the end of the sentence where he says, What must I do to be saved? And what I have to ask here is, what did he want to be saved from? This isn't like our pop culture that says, 
you just need to believe. And then it kind of leaves the, like the believing is what you're doing and like never tells you what you're believing in. You know, like the song that says, that's what faith can do, but they never say what faith in what. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you've already answered the question in your head. And you're thinking, Dave, this is obvious. I mean, after all, it's the Bible. He wants to be saved from his sin. But how do we know that? It doesn't actually say that here. So how do we know that? Where do we get this idea that he wants to be saved from his sin? Well, for starters, since this is the Bible, the whole Jewish legal system was set up to do two things. One is to show us what holiness looks like. That's where a lot of the ceremonial laws came from. And that we sin, particularly in the Ten Commandments. You know, if you actually look at those seriously, you find out, I can't do those. If you even take the first two of the Ten Commandments really seriously, you realize you can't keep them. Because who can honestly say, They love God and love people. You may do loving things. You may do what God requires. But if you don't do it because you want to, are you really loving? Reminds me of a story from way back, and again, I'm going to show my age, but way back in the day before seatbelts, remember those days? Father and son were, you know, riding down the road, and the, and the son's standing up in the in the car, standing up in the seat uh, without, uh, any, you know, in the seat. And the father says to him, "You know, you need to you need to sit down." And of course, the son promptly does nothing. And eventually, the father gets the son to to sit down in his seat like he's supposed to. And a few more minutes down the road, the son mutters, "I'm sitting on the inside, but I'm standing. I'm not." I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. So much of our lives are spent standing on the inside. Second, Jesus was clearly sent to be our sacrifice for our sin. You want to move the slides to... Yeah, so John one twenty nine says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John starts out his whole gospel making this declaration. The whole reason why Jesus came was to save us from our sins. And third, next slide, in one twenty one, even before Jesus is born and the angels telling Joseph what's going to happen, part of the Christmas story we read every year, it says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And in fact, early in Acts, it's recorded. Next slide. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, since it's already been stated here, you know, Luke states this in Acts 2. When we get to Acts 16, I think Luke doesn't feel the need to state 
what's so obvious to him. And so he doesn't say saved from his sins. He just says saved. So the next thing I want to do is look at the answer that's given, and that is believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now, if you know your Bible, or even if you were paying attention to this verse, if you move to the next, I think it's the next slide, you'll see that it says, yeah, it says repent and be baptized. But in the, the passage that we're looking at, it doesn't say repent. It just says um, believe. So why doesn't it say repent? Well, maybe you've heard a definition that uh, repentance means changing direction or turning around, 180-degree turn. And, and that's a good definition, but really a better definition is change of mind. Um, it's the process that your brain goes through when you believed one thing was true and somebody has convinced you that the opposite of that is true. So if you went around believing that white was black and black was white and somebody convinced you that white was white and black was black, that would be repentance. And so when the Bible uses this word, it's implying a change of mind about who you are, who God is, and who Jesus is. Now, repentance can happen in a couple different ways, but most often it comes... Um, and the way that it came to the jailer, you find out that all that you've been trying to do, all the control that you've been trying to have over your life is useless. And that you, you've got to find some other way of, uh, of dealing with life. And so I think the reason that repent isn't part of the formula that's given here when he asks, what do I have to do to be saved? Is because he's already done that. His circumstances have led them to the point of repentance, but he's he's changed his mind about what's going on. But he's still like, well, well, well what do I do now? And so the answer is believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, this word believe is a tricky word, and not because Paul and Silas are tricky people. It's because we've played the Cheshire Cat. You know, Cheshire Cat. A word means exactly what I want it to mean. And what we tend to make believe mean today is assent to a set of facts. And when the Bible uses this word believe, what it means is that we rest. And I went to a, a, a Christmas service at another church, and, and he was talking about uh, believe. And he talked about it as... It's, it's that, that thing that happens when you rest in your easy chair. You just, ah, you relax. It's, it's a, a relinquishing of control to someone else. It's really more of a control issue than a assenting to facts issue, although the facts you assent to will lead you to being able to relinquish the control. And second, they use this prefix Lord when they say, believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, this word Lord is kyrios. It's the Greek word. And really, uh, I looked it up, and the definition is, he to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has power of deciding, master or Lord. 
Again, it's a control word. It's also the word that's used in the Greek version of the Old Testament when they talk about God. And they use that word because God has that kind of power over us. He's the one that gets to do the deciding. So, in effect, believe in the Lord Jesus, when we put this all together, is put Jesus in control of your life instead of yourself. And that's the gospel. Now, if you've been paying attention over the last, at what, half year, year? And then it says somewhere during the sermon, just about every week, he says, and that's the gospel. And if you've been paying attention, you'll recognize that just about every week, it's not exactly the same thing that he's pointing to and saying, that's the gospel. And the reason for that is the gospel is that big. Now, the essentials are God is holy. You're a rebel. Jesus paid for your rebellion, and you need to repent and believe. That's, that's the essence. But those are the essentials, or the essence, like dirt, water, and air are the essentials of earth. Now, I can point to a lake and say, that's earth. Or I can point to a mountain and say, that's the earth. Or I could point to a field and say, that's the earth. And that's all true. And in fact, if you, has anybody actually seen all of earth? No, I didn't think so. Right? So you can't, none of us can grasp the, the breadth of what it means to be the earth. How much more are we able or less able to capture the breadth of who God is or what the gospel is? Because it's, it's so big and its implications work itself out in so many different ways. Now, the biggest problem with preaching the gospel to a room full of people who come to church every Sunday and especially come to church the Sunday after Christmas when Dennis isn't preaching, is that we all at least believe that we're saved. But the question I want to ask is, are you really? What are you trusting in, really? Is Jesus your master? Have you given him control? Or do you believe that Jesus just is? Maybe you thought believe means to subscribe to a way of life or a set of rules. You didn't know it meant lordship. Maybe you thought lordship was for the super spiritual or some step along the journey that you hadn't quite made yet. But I'm here to tell you that making Jesus Lord is the definition of being a Christian. To put it bluntly, if Jesus isn't Lord, you're not saved. But what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? There's another problem with preaching a message like that, and that is um, some people are perfectionists. And when you preach a message like this, what they hear is rules, lifestyle, try harder, 
And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about desire, direction, heart. Where do you want to be? And yet there are others in the room who are going to totally blow off everything I've said because you think you're headed in the right direction. And so the question is, isn't really, have you made Jesus Lord, but are you making Jesus Lord? Because we're all going to mess up. I've got areas in my life that I still need to figure out what that looks like for Jesus to be Lord. So the better question is, what are you trying to maintain control over? Now, I'm sure that all of us can think of things when I bring that up. If, if, you've, if you're breathing and, you know, got a heartbeat, you've probably already thought of things in your own life. But what I want to do next is go into areas that are a little more subtle in the way that we think about them. Now, the, the most blatant way that we can be in control of our lives is to not basically deny that there's a God. And we see this most often in the world, those people, uh, but it seeps into the church. See, the church manages to do this thanks in large part to the Enlightenment. And so what we think is, if we just understand how the world works, we can be masters of our own destiny. Some people, even people who go to church, feel like God was like the watchmaker who wound the world up and let it go spinning. But it's up to us to figure out how that all works and uh, figure out the rules and work under them. And that gives us a sense of control over the world. We contrast that to the God of the Bible who is intimately in control of everything that's happening and wants to be in relationship with us. Another way that we try to maintain control is by taking the position of being under God. These are the, the, the rule followers. If I can just do everything that God has told me to do, follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. God will like me, and everything will go good for me. In effect, we try to manipulate God by striking a deal with him. I'll follow the rules. You'll make life comfortable. Now, a more insidious version of this is not only will I follow all the rules, but I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to get everybody else to follow the rules, too. Another way that we do this is by trying to do things for God. It's very similar to the rule following, but instead of following rules, what we try to do is we try to um, do things for God. Now, a lot of times where you'll see this is in pastors and missionaries. They feel like it's their duty to be a pastor or a missionary. This is not, I'm not saying all pastors and missionaries are like this. But when they get into a hard spot, what you'll often hear them say is something along the lines of what the older son in the prodigal son story said. I've served you my whole life and this is what I get? Now, what scares me is that um, what I know of the current generation of college students who, if they're in the church at all and are following Jesus, this is where they 
they tend to gravitate now. This is a gen these different positions tend to be generational, and in the college arena, this is what we see in the college arena. Now, the, the last way that we do this is a lot of us, uh, we think that God exists for us. Um, my, my favorite phrase for this is, you know, God is the cosmic vending machine. They don't strike any deal. God is there for us. God exists to make me comfortable. Prayer was given so that we can ask our Father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills for whatever we need or whatever we want. I've even heard pastors say things like, you just need to have more faith. They somehow for intentionally or unintentionally just kind of forget that Paul was poor. Paul had a thorn in his side. And even Jesus didn't heal everybody. The problem with each of these is that God never plays along. Not really. People will maintain their faith faith in their way of controlling God until they die. But he's never really played along. And what drives me most nuts about these, particularly the last three positions, but all four of these positions, is a lot of times people can sound so spiritual when they take these positions. And so it sounds so right. But at best, it misrepresents the gospel. And if people are really paying attention, they think we're all crazy because they know it doesn't work. Making Jesus Lord means that we desire to please him. You like hanging out with him. Yes, it will mean doing it will mean serving. It will give you access, access to ask of him whatever you will. But the key word there is ask. But you desire to please God because he's Lord. Because we're overcome with how much he loves us. Because we enjoy him. If we would make Jesus Lord... What we should do would simply follow. But instead, we make the shoulds Lord, thinking we are making Jesus Lord, and never actually make Jesus Lord. It's just kind of sad. And so the question I leave you with this morning is, who's in control? Are you repenting? Are you believing? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself Lord in our lives because even the making you Lord is something we have so little control over. But it's what we want. And for those who don't want you to be Lord, would you change their hearts? Remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh so that they want to want you. Amen.